Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. As we begin this morning uh, in our teaching portion, I want to share another lesson from a a rather popular figure uh, here at the East Campus. And if you're new or visiting today, uh, I'm referring to our dog, Waylon. Of all the stories and videos that I've shared, which is about on a weekly basis, uh, Waylon's love for skunks has most often been remembered and recited back to me uh, more than anything else we've done. Anytime a dog story gets mentioned around our house or to some of you, uh, you immediately ask if Waylon found another skunk. Now, I'm, I'm not sure whether you're laughing at our misfortune or compassionately embracing us in that smelly despair, but I just, I'm, I'm going to trust that it's from a good intention. Uh, and I've even become a resource of sorts. How do you deal with skunk on a dog? Oh, brother. So, Waylon, uh, he has an uncontrollable desire to chase these detestable smelling creatures called skunks. And that desire has really taught me a lot about how our nature controls our actions, how our nature drives our actions. Like most dogs and a a few people uh, that I know, he lives for the moment. He lives for the moment. He sees a skunk and his first thought is, let's get it. It's just in, it's who he is. He goes from zero to 100% committed to this bad idea in an instant. And you know what? No matter how the encounter begins, it always ends the same for Waylon. His eyes are watering profusely. His mouth is foaming. He has shame weight laden on his eyes as he looks back at us. And he awaits his fate at the door. And all his shame and all of his regret and perhaps fear of the consequences that are coming, his desire to be restored to the family overrides all those feelings. Because you see, in those moments, he will literally press all 60 pounds of that body against the back door and just press in as hard as he can press, waiting to be redeemed. Now, while that's an endearing sign of his love of us, it's a rather aromatic reminder of his repentance over the coming weeks and what I've learned watching this uh, countless times now in Waylon's life is that we share similar feelings about our failures we share similar feelings if we're honest uh, we might not be foaming at the mouth or we might not smell like a skunk but we respond in similar ways when we fail We can relate to that long, drawn-out look, the feeling of guilt. We remember and can recall that sense of kicking myself for being so stupid. 
We could remember, or we, we might even be afraid of what's coming, afraid of the restoration journey. Perhaps we even know what it's like to be pressing into the door, uh, waiting to be welcomed back in, unsure how it might go. As we continue in our teaching text today, in our teaching series, we're going to look at the story of a man who probably experienced many of these emotions, many of these feelings following his great failure. We're going to see that to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of him, does not prevent us from failing, even at a historical level. As a comment of an experience, as failure can be in our story, there's a beautiful truth for us to see in that it doesn't have to be final. It doesn't have to be final. As we will see in the story of Peter, your failure doesn't have the power to define your future. Let's hear that one more time. Your failure does not have the power to define your future. Jesus does. Jesus does, friends. Failure does not have that power. Jesus does. Because that is so important for us to see and to reckon with this morning. Because I, I'm guessing in a room this size, that the, in the stories that are represented here, that there's someone that believes that their failure is worse than everybody else's. That if we knew what was really going on or what really happened, we might distance ourselves from you. That you feel like it's hopeless. Friends, if that's how you feel about your failure or what's happening in your life, this one's for you. This one's for you. I want to welcome you back to our teaching series called Stories of your life. Over the last couple weeks, uh, we've been looking at the stories of, of the lives of people who were with Jesus through his final days, through the passion narrative. Uh, we began the story looking at Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a, a notorious tax collector. He made his living, living for himself. And we see in his story uh, that there is no such thing as too far gone, that God's grace will reach us. God's grace reaches. On Easter Sunday, we looked at the story of the repentant thief on the cross uh, who, after a, a lifetime of sin and rebellion, received the assurance of Jesus for eternal life in paradise with him. Last week, we looked at the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and we looked at her courageous faith, and we saw that no matter the ups, the downs, even the cost, that being found close to Jesus is the place we need to be. It's the place we need to be. As we conclude our series this week, we're going to look at the story of Peter and what happens uh, in the greatest failure in the New Testament, if not in all of history. You see, Peter's unraveling, if you will, begins as Jesus is arrested in the garden. Uh, as the soldiers approach that evening there in prayer in the garden, uh, Peter grabs a sword. Now, Peter was a fisherman, right? He's not used to wielding a sword. Uh, so he grabs a sword and he takes a swing at one of the servants and he cuts off his ear. He was not aiming for his ear, friends. He was taking a radical step. You see that his bravado, his, his strength, his own self-reliance is still calling the shots even in the garden. And in those moments, Jesus rebukes him, uh, assuring him that what is coming must be done. That's what's ahead must be done. And that's where we're going to begin our story today in verse 54 of Luke chapter 22. So if you have your copy of scripture, the text will be on the screen. Uh, but Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 54. It says, then seizing him, seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Verse 55 says, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, 
and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. You see, as we dive into Peter's story, it's good for us to know and to reckon with it. He was in the inner uh, circle of disciples, if you will. Uh, multiple times throughout the gospel narrative, we'll see Pete, Jim, and John get called by Jesus to go a little further, to pray a little longer. They got to see some things that the other disciples maybe didn't get to see. Uh, and even despite Peter's tendency to stick his entire foot in his mouth at times, uh, he did have some deep insights to the person of Jesus. He, he believed that he was the Messiah. He believed that he was Lord. He had that going for him. But just hours before this scene, hours before our text, uh, Jesus had actually predicted Peter's denial. He had predicted his failure. But you see, Peter, he didn't get it yet. He didn't get it yet. He and, and all the other disciples, too, said that they were willing to die if they had to in Jesus' defense. But as the soldiers came up that night there in the garden, most of the disciples scattered, and Peter merely follows at a distance. So let's pick back up in our text at verse 56. It says, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, uh, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. See, this guy even picked up on Peter's accent. He says, certainly you are with him because he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Just hours before, hours before this valiant disciple was willing to die if necessary, and now he denies even knowing who Jesus is in the presence of a servant girl. Peter didn't just fail here one time. He betrayed Jesus three times, a complete and utter betrayal. I mean, it's easy kind of maybe to imagine they had just taken Jesus into custody, and it's, his disciples are certainly next, right? And so it's easy to see how Peter fell into that trap because in the heat of the moment, he buckled. From willing to die, he buckles even to denying that he knows him. Let's continue in verse 61. It says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Imagine those eyes. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. He said, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. You. I've seen you before. You know him. nothing to do with me. You know him. I've seen you with him. I don't know him. Peter, you will deny me three times. Don't be afraid. Take him to Pilate. 
mean, not literally, of course, but have, have you found yourself at that point of failure, the weight that Peter was experiencing there? Maybe you lapsed on a promise to the Lord. Maybe a promise to yourself or to someone else. Maybe living in the moment, you really messed up big time. Maybe you failed in a way that you never even thought was possible. (laughs) Pretty sure we've all been there at at some level, at some degree, at some way in our story we've experienced failure. So so let me ask a a follow-up question. What did you do in those moments? Maybe I need to phrase this in the present tense. What are you doing following that failure? You see, that's a crucial question for us to consider because what makes some failure final and some failure a distant memory is what we choose to do in the moments following our failure. The good news for Peter and the good news for you and me this morning is that Peter's story doesn't end in this moment. It doesn't end with the greatest failure in history. It doesn't end with him kicking himself for being so stupid. It doesn't end with the shame-filled eyes. Because you see, Peter had a choice to make. He had a choice. He, he could allow the guilt, the shame, the regret. He could allow the failure to define his future. One of the beauties of the Gospels is that it offers us multiple stories in the passion narrative. One of those stories is the story of Judas. Remember Judas, the betrayer? He, he sold Jesus out to the authorities for 30 pieces of silver. Now, now we, don't, we don't know what was on Judas's mind. We don't know what he was thinking, uh, whether he just thought Jesus was some kind of good teacher or maybe a prophet. But whatever happens, whatever Judas believed, he betrayed Jesus. He sold him out to the authorities. And, and when Judas, when he finally comes to terms with his failure, with his mistakes, uh, he had nowhere to run. He had nowhere to turn because he didn't believe that he could find mercy in the Messiah. He didn't believe that he could find uh, mercy in the person of Jesus. And when he didn't have Jesus to turn to, failure had the final word in Judas' life. He took his life and disappears from the story. But Peter, for all the mistakes he made, he did believe in Jesus. He did believe that Jesus was Lord and that even though he had denied him, even though he had failed him, he believed that if he just threw himself, if he trusted and put his faith and hope in the person of Jesus, that he would find mercy. And that decision in Peter's life changed the trajectory of his story forever. That decision in the moments ahead made all the difference in his life. It's not too much to say that it even saved his life. And it transformed his future. You see, here's the truth that we see in Peter's story today, friends. Failure doesn't have the power to define your future. Jesus does. Your failure doesn't have the power to define your future. Jesus has that power. You see, Peter, in the depths of his despair, under the weight of guilt and shame, he had that choice. He could have allowed it to crush him, to drive him into hiding, to drive him away from the company of the disciples, to drive him away from Jesus. 
or he could, he could throw himself in the midst of the unknown, the mistakes, the regret. He could throw himself on the who he knew the person of Jesus to be. And he found redemption in that choice. In the person of Jesus. Friends, that's the same choice you and I have today in our failure. It's the same choice we have to make. Will we allow uh, despair and hopelessness and guilt and shame to drive us away, to put us into isolation? Will we listen to the voice of the enemy that says it's over? Or will you trust and hope in the person of Jesus and just throw yourself down before him and embrace the person of Jesus? That decision, friends, will change your life forever. What's your choice going to be? You see, that decision changed everything for Peter, just like it can for you. You see, Peter's story, we get to see the end. We get to see that it doesn't end grimacing on the ground in failure. Let's fast forward a couple painstaking days in the life of Peter. About a week goes by. The disciples, they've gone back to the Galilee. Uh, Peter decides to go fishing. Boy, I resonate with him right there. Let's just, it's, it's crazy. Let's just go fishing. Logical choice to me. Anyway, scholars are debating uh, what's going on here, whether uh, uh, they're going because they're hungry, they need to catch fish to eat, whether they're going to just be busy, or, or whether they feel like they've really failed and they just go back to the old life. And it, we may never be sure this side of heaven, but Peter says, I'm going fishing. And, and so that's where I want to pick up his story here in John chapter 21. Text will be on the screen, John chapter 1, 21, beginning in verse 3. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told him, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side, the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, I'm not sure how many of you have ever fished at night, but it's about a miserable experience. Uh, Bugs are in your face and everywhere. You can't see anything. You're normally tired. You're hungry. And to cap it all off, the fish aren't biting. And and so that's the miserable experience, if you will, that the disciples are experiencing this night. They didn't even have headlamps. So they're out here, and they've caught nothing. And, And in the dim, lit morning, they hear a man from shore ask how it's going. And then he offers unsolicited advice to how to fish, how to catch some. Just BTW, don't ever do that. Don't, don't holler from the shore, tell people how to fish. Just don't. You won't receive a good greeting. Uh, so th- that's what happens. That's the story that's unfolding. They get this advice, and the story continues there in uh, the last half of verse 6. It says, when they did, they obeyed this figure on the seashore. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. You see Peter's choice. You see his choice following his failure. He doesn't consult the other fishermen. He doesn't consult a panel. 
He doesn't even finish fishing. He throws his garments on and he's after Jesus. What he's responding to in his failure is he's running after the person of Jesus. Swimming after him. Whatever it takes. He's a little bit like Waylon when he's pressing up against the door. He doesn't know where else to go, so he just leans in to the person of Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat and swims to the shore. Says the other disciples followed in the boat, because they've been left behind, right? Peter, gone. The other disciples, they follow in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. That was a long swim for Peter, wasn't it? hundred yards. He wanted to be close to Jesus. It says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to him uh, and, and did the same with the fish. And now this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. Now, now remember at this point that before this, they were all responsible. They were all joining in in the hour of crisis. That he, they, the disciples deserted him. And so this is restoration for all of them in this moment. All of them. Just as Jesus had, had served them and washed their feet in the upper room, so Jesus is satisfying their hunger here on the side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, now just picture this a little bit. Picture this. This is Jesus, resurrected from the dead, the king of glory, defeater of death, hell, and the grave, now turned servant chef to his disciples who had betrayed him. Wow. I mean, he... he Certainly resurrected from the dead, had some other stuff to be doing, but no, he prepares a meal and extends relationship and invitation to his friends and followers who had left him in the dust and crisis. What a God we serve, friends. What a God we serve that places a meal before us and offers us relationship in spite of our failures. Verse 15 says, when they had finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Verse 17, then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. You see what began as a threefold denial we see restoration through a threefold affirmation of Peter's love for Jesus. Note here what Jesus doesn't say. 
He doesn't look at Peter and go, you big dummy. I told you so. No, you wouldn't listen. Had to do it Peter's way. Like, right, he doesn't say what we would say in those moments. He simply confronts Peter with the most crucial question any of us are ever asked. When he looks him in the eyes and says, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You see, we got to start there. Do you love me? Jesus asks. Every one of us. Do you love me? Do you love me? You know, in, in Peter's reply, we, I, th- I think we begin to see a little bit of the humility, the fruit of this failure in his life, his repentance that he had experienced, because there's no bold claims here, right? There's no, I'll go die for you. There's no macho bravado. No, he simply says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord. You see, in these moments, Jesus uh, receives Peter's devotion, his affirmation of his love. And as he receives, he gives Peter a commission. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You see, Jesus had a plan for Peter. Just like he's got a plan for you. He asked Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, then feed my sheep. What all did that say to Peter in that moment? Don't stay here, son. Don't stay on this seashore in your failure. Don't stay in hiding. Go. Go tell the world of the good news of who I am, that I am the defeater of death, hell, and the grave, and I am resurrected. Go. Feed my sheep. Tell the story of who I am. Go. Your failure does not define your future, son. Go. You see, the greatest failure in all of history, arguably, Peter's failure, it didn't have the power to define his future. Jesus did. And friends, the same is true for your story today. The same can be true for you. As the band makes their way forward. So what's the difference we see in Judas and Peter's story? What's the difference we see in their stories? It's the difference in their response to failure. How will you respond today? Knowing that it makes all the difference in the story of your life, how will you respond today? Will you remain in hiding? (laughs) The weight of guilt or shame or regret, kicking yourself for being so stupid. Will you stay there? And allow it to drive you farther away from the love of God and from a community of believers who have come around you. Will you allow that to be the end of your story? Or will you simply just throw yourself on the person of Jesus? And say, yes, Lord, I love you. I love you. So the story of your life does not have to be defined by your failure. No matter how bad, no matter how many times, it doesn't matter. Only God has the ultimate authority to define your future, but you've got to make a choice. You've got to make a choice. Just as Peter jumped in the water, we must decide to jump in the water after Jesus, to leave our failure and our sin behind and pursue Jesus at all costs to press in to him. I mean, that's, that's repentance, right? 
to turn from our failure and our sin and just in turn whole focus, heart and mind to Jesus and pursue after him and allow him to define our future. We've got to make a choice. Jesus is longing for us to return. Wayward son or daughter, Jesus will welcome you home when you turn towards him. He'll welcome you home. You know, Jesus, he, he told a story in the Gospels once uh, what the kingdom of God was like uh, when, when repentant people came home, when, when sinners decided to come home. Uh, he told the story of a son who failed big time. Uh, so this son, in, in Jesus' story, this son went to the father and demanded his inheritance. And that was essentially like saying, Dad, you're dead to me. Give me what's coming. I want the cash, Jack. I'm out. And so the son in this moment, he disgraces his father, his family, and he leaves for a foreign country. And, and he takes off living the high life. Man, things are going great. Got friends, got a party, got money. It is all good in the hood. But you see, the money ran out. The money ran out and the weight of his failure began to set in. You see, this Jewish boy was now out feeding pigs, an unclean animal. And this boy is now hungry, starving to the point that he's longing, desiring just to have the food that the pigs have. And this son, he comes to realize he has a choice in this moment. He comes to realize that he can stay here in the pig slop of my failure, or I can go back to the father's house and see if he'll take me in, if even as a servant slave. And so the boy, he, he decides to go home. He decides it's better there as a servant than to stay in the pig slot failure of his life. And so he, he turns home, and you can only imagine uh, he's rehearsing his apology, his story to his dad. What's he going to say? Is dad going to welcome me back? Or is he going to send me away? You can imagine all these thoughts are running through his mind as he makes the bend towards home. But as he comes around the corner, the father sees him coming. And he doesn't see a failure. He sees his son. And so the father runs and embraces him in that moment. And he doesn't condemn him. He doesn't lecture him. He doesn't give him a list of chores to do. He simply says, welcome home, son. He reinstates his position in the family. And he throws a party. He serves him a meal. Friends, that's the story that Jesus told of how the Father responds and reacts when we return towards home. And so when you're thinking about the choice you got to make coming out of your failure, that's who's welcoming you home. What's your choice going to be? What's your choice going to be? doesn't have the power to define your future. God does. What's your future going to be? What's your future going to be? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today for the witness of your word. Lord, for the honesty of Peter to retell that story. Lord, that we can see that to be a follower of Jesus and to fail, that we see that failure doesn't have the final word. That you do, God. But we also see that we're responsible, that we need to make a choice. 
a choice to turn from sin, to turn from that failure and throw ourselves at your feet. Lord, and embrace you and your great grace and mercy. Lord, we know that it's only your grace that calls us home. And so, Lord, we want to run to you, whether our failure is big or small, no matter how many times, Lord, we hear your call and we want to turn to you. And, Lord, I know that failure, that turn, that choice might mean counseling for some of us. To live out the truth of of our new future might require a rehab program. It might require an accountability partner. God, but what we are desperate for is the infilling restoration of your presence within us. Lord, and to empower us for the future ahead. Because failure does not have that power you do. And so we say, yes, Lord. I love you. I want to be your disciple. I would invite you to stand, those that are able, no pressure. But those that are able, I would just invite you to stand. On the seashore that morning, uh, Jesus gave his disciples a meal. And in that culture, that was huge. That was a symbol of friendship, of relationship, of restoration. You know, he gives us a meal to remember. We call it communion, the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to respond today with a meal, the meal of communion bread and the cup the elements have been prepared there's two tables in the back with a gluten free option there's a table up here in the front and we believe that this meal communion is a sacrament proclaiming uh, Jesus' life his sufferings, his sacrificial death and yes his resurrection and the hope of his coming again We come to this table, to this meal, that we might be renewed in life and salvation, made one by the Spirit. Friends, that was the invitation on the bank that day for breakfast. And that's the invitation of the table to you today. So if you're here today and you're ready to jump out of the boat, You're ready to to just press in against Jesus. Unsure what that's going to mean, but you know you've got to press in. You've got to go after him. If that's you today, you're ready to turn from that sin and failure and turn to Jesus, I invite you to come. I invite you to receive the bread representing the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to receive the cup representing his blood. Friends, if that's you today, If you're saying, I'm getting out of this boat and rushing to Jesus, move now. Don't wait. Move right now. Move right now. I'm seeking him. And as you approach the meal, hear Jesus ask, do you love me? That's the sign of this table. He says, do you love me? And partake in those elements and say, yes, Lord. Yes, as I remember you. If you're here and you just want to remember, you want to partake in this sacrament, that is a beautiful opportunity too. And so I would invite you to come and as you approach the table, receive the bread representing the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Receive the cup representing the blood of his new covenant. And as you find yourself in prayer and reflection, looking into the eyes of the Father, into the eyes of the one who gave his life for you, 
partake of those elements as you are ready. Receive the bread and receive the cup in remembrance that Christ died for you. Our band is, is going to lead us in a response song this morning. Assume the posture of your heart that seems most appropriate as you receive the elements. And we sing together. He looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Yes. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.